You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. Thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. I'm, once again, Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way, and joining me back from the break is my boy, Gary Guthrie. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Yeah, man. It's funny how it's great to have the holiday season and to be with family and friends and stuff, but you're, 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 you're sort of happy when it all comes to an end and you can rip it all down. And you can yeah, get the two mundane. The two uh, best days of a visit are when they arrive and when they leave, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. No traveling, no nothing, no spending profligately and whatnot. It was, um, whew, man, I'm glad it's over and I'm glad we're back into the new year and it's 2020. Oh, yeah. So, this and other podcasts on the MLGL network are brought to you by the MLGL network of podcasts. So let's get to it. This episode is us being lazy and having not done a whole lot of show prep. So we are now in 2020 as we record this. And I, in the pre-show, me and Gary had discussed, let's go back like a lot of these other websites and some other podcasts have done. And let's examine the last 10 years in tech. And let's try to pick out the things, in this instance, we, I think we focused on 10, that were, that, that were major importance, that had major impacts throughout the last decade, starting from 2010 on. Um, you know, let's, let's keep everything in perspective when it came to what was going on. It, in 2010, we were at the bottom of a pretty brutal recession that kicked off in 2007, 2008. And we were actually starting to bounce back. We were two years into the Obama administration. Uh, a transformative administration in a lot of ways. Um, and really, we were just kind of truly as a country trying to heal. Um, uh, we were drawing down our, our, our commitments in Iraq. Um, we were trying to definitely, again, financially and more, like, more, more for most of us, psychologically adjust to the fact that like uh, the past two years prior to 2010 were kind of crappy. but. While that was going on, like things were happening in the tech sector that were going to transform this this decade, this past decade, and they were profound. So I guess we're going to kind of kick off with no further ado, like the the top ten ish things that we thought basically shaped this last um, ten years, and. I'll throw it off to you, Gary, um, starting with number one. So number one, machine learning and AI. Yeah, so nothing, all the things we'll kind of discuss as we go down this list have had, nothing has had a more profound impact on 
all the things we're going to discuss two through 10 than machine learning and AI. So at the be kind of the beginning of the decade, machine learning and AI was beginning to have a bit of a renaissance. And it wasn't until probably about 2010 when um, using some of um, Jeffrey Hinton, who was a computer scientist who I think he taught at the University of Toronto, had proposed um, this kind of high-level representation of the brain, um, to which is basically deep neural, deep artificial neural networks. In 2010, um, some of his people who he had worked with, Andrew uh, Andrew Ying, and um, Dean, uh, I guess I, I want to see, is that the same Dean Jeffrey Dean from Google? Yes, it is. Um, basically started to push this technology into uh, the mainstream. It basically, the, the hiring of uh, Ying, Ning and Dean at Google essentially turned the company's fortune, basically ch the, the dynamic of the company changed to being much more of an AI-first kind of company. And today, everything you use, from your Google Assistant to Siri to Amazon Echo, um, to the recommendation engines when you shop on Amazon, to the updates uh, to the uh, the more efficient logistical networks, to the better cloud computing networks, to the orchestration of, of, of microservices, to self-driving cars, to data mining, uh, to data science, analysis, everything could be pointed back to this kind of aha moment started in 2006 that culminated in this decade to implement all the things across all these facets of um, data, big data. Because the decade before was probably big data. From 2000 to 2009, it was all about data. We had a lot of data. The, the 2010 to, to 2019 now, going into 2020, is all about analyzing that data. And now we build these machine learning models that need lots of data. And yeah, all the things that we're going to talk about going down this list, man, the genesis of that was basically the, not only the advancements in machine learning and AI, but definitely the democratization of machine learning and AI. And that kind of brings us to number two. Um, and that was basically the cloud computing and the rise of all these cloud services. That's Amazon, yes. that's Google, that's Microsoft, particularly yeah. Microsoft. And I think me and Gary have a slight bit of a love a bro, I got bro fest, bro love affair. Oh, it's a like, bro, bromance, dude. It's a bromance with Sanjay Nadella <laughs> and Microsoft's move to the cloud. Yeah, they they're clearly the the front runner coming out of everything. I mean, Amazon, great, Google, eh, it, it, relatively speaking, anyway. But Microsoft is clearly the king coming out of when uh, it comes to the enterprise. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been, it's been a game changer in, uh, my enterprise where I work, um, and in my colleagues in other companies, um, it, it's been a cost saver. It's been a scalability, a boon for enterprises, uh, just to be able to scale out on demand, um, and for limited periods of time without having to expend a lot of, um, effort a lot of cost in engineering and whatnot. You just tell it what you want and it spins it up. And again, you know, a lot of that driven of course by machine learning and AI type, uh, type stuff on the back end that really helps to drive the ability to 
to use this technology. Yeah, when it comes to machine learning workloads and AI workloads being democratized, being able to democratize that technology, the ability to spin up instances on Azure, on um, AWS, and on Google Cloud to run these tasks is has been huge. Um, some of the biggest companies in the world who have gone public in the last 10 years, Snapchat is built on Google's cloud. Um, uh, for the longest time, uh, um, Netflix was using Amazon's AWS for uh, uh, load balancing, for the sh- delivery of their streaming services. Many uh, web, we would call them not web 2.0 companies, but many of the, gr- the great social media networks, uh, the, uh, the kind of all these gig economy, sharing economy type apps and stuff like that. All these uh, mobile assistants, streaming services, all this stuff has been enabled by the fact that like cloud computing has allowed these this elasticity of compute, like what you need. You, can, you don't need to build your own server farm as a startup. You can use this infrastructure to spin your startup out. And as time moves on and as you scale, you can either scale with these players or you can scale in parallel to these players while building your own cloud infrastructure and even the ability to build your own cloud infrastructure or infrastructure or offer your own infrastructure as a service or networking as a service type of service, so to speak. Um, right. you, can, you can build yourself and the tools are available for you to even get into that space and augment the cloud services offered by Google and Amazon and Microsoft with your own and even and get into the game. And right. And I, and I think one of the other things that, um, you know, that, that is really kind of cemented itself into existence is the recognition of these particularly Amazon, Google, Microsoft, um, as secure platforms for the cloud. Right. So in my particular environment, we can, we're not only able to offload the processing, the, the business continuity, the, the backups, whatever, the technical side, we're also able to piggyback on the security, the certifications, the, you know, it's, it's basically a rubber stamp at that point. If you're in one of these environments, you're basically golden from a security standpoint. And of course, as we've seen in the past 10 years, it's not on the list, but, you know, the advent of data breaches and the the uh, impact on the world uh this basically helps particularly smaller companies that don't have the resources that don't have the know-how to you know do the uh the you know get their SOC 2 compliance in and all this stuff they basically piggyback on it and it helps the overall environment to be more secure and more resistant to attack. Yeah, no problem. And then as we get further down the list, the reason why these data breaches and security has become, and I, in my opinion, front, uh, front and center, is the fact that there's so, so ubiquity. And as we bring more things online, we're gonna need to figure out some sort of security infrastructure that like scales to not only make it secure but compliant and then there's laws coming on the books that are going to force oh yeah yeah to become very very compliant when it comes right. to that stuff so but all that is enabled it's the underlying infrastructure of all that is enabled by cloud computing so moving yep. on the list man number three bravey is cryptocurrencies and the blockchain so 
kind of to dovetail back to what I said at the beginning of the show when we were discussing what type of world we were living in in 2010. Part of the financial crisis of 2007 and eight and nine, and with and with the with the uh, with the cre with the, really the emergence of Occupy Wall Street and stuff was this kind of finally people were starting to realize that governments and central banks didn't necessarily have the common man's interests at heart, and that governments and central banks at any point could inflate the currency, and um and bail out players that had done things that were silly when it comes to a financial standpoint the financial crisis of the latest of the latter part of the last decade was as a result of just you know irrational exuberance and just money creation by central banks and uh really reckless uh, fiscal policies by by states so cryptocurrencies basically came in their own or basically came into the mind of the mainstream in this decade. And there was a bubble. We all experienced it. Um, everybody thought they were going to be Bitcoin millionaires or billionaires. Um, some people were who played it right. Um, and Bitcoin became this phenomena, uh, you know, created by this mysterious Satoshi Nakamura. Was it Nakamura or is it? I, I don't know. I don't I'm, even I'm, know. Yeah, I mean, no I'm one even knows if right that's now. a real name or not. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, we assume that it's not a real name, but he un unleashed this um, this paper, white paper, about, you know, uh, a cryptocurrency based on math, uh, distributed, and, um, and that distributed nature of it was the blockchain. And as you can see, it, it has had a profound effect. There was the... Um, the ICO uh, boom, basically the initial coin offering boom, a lot of it was scams, a lot of it was legit, and a lot of great technologies are now being built off of not necessarily the cryptocurrencies themselves, for which they're now Litecoin, Ethereum, um, there's, oh God, what is it, like Stellar Lumens, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, um, all this other stuff, but the underlying technology that allows the distributed ledger nature of it was the blockchain. And the right. blockchain has actually found um, a lot of use when it comes to maybe building the future infrastructure of a much more resilient internet. Because um, one disturbing trend that has happened in the last decade is the open and free internet that me and you might have grew up with, Gary, is slow has been slowly kind of balkanized by large companies and now states. And yeah. now there's a little bit of... of, of um, for lack of a better word, there's a little bit of a censorship happening. Some at the corporate level, some at the state level, um, state actor level. And right. what blockchain and this distributive ledger and these the, the, and the underlying technology, really, of the cryptocurrencies, blockchain will allow, hopefully, in the future, is really a much more distributed ledger when it comes to databasing, when it comes to keeping up web content, when it comes to DNS, when it comes to a whole lot of things. And so what made this such an important, uh, um, I guess, development in the last decade was the fact that like there was a money component to it. Um, you know, remember the it was very yeah turns. money money being the very practical and very visceral kind of thing that everybody understands and everybody you know it almost it almost it was like kind of a brilliant move to make money the the first real practical implementation of blockchain right. And since then, we've had, you know, Facebook had attempted to try to do some blockchain-based 
kind of distributed, you know, some sort of cryptocurrency um, that was uh, going to be based on a basket of fiat currencies. Um, there's been, um, uh, what is the one thing? Um, Ripple, so XRP. Um, so there's still companies around. Bitcoin is still a thing. Bitcoin is still, what's Bitcoin, I think, is that seven? As of this recording, it's at 7K. It got up to, a, at the beginning of the decade, it, it was not that at all. It was a couple hundred bucks, if I'm not mistaken. And then yeah. it got up to as high as 20,000, depending on what exchange you were looking at at what given time. And it was truly a global right. phenomena to the point where it scared the hell out of the Chinese. Um, and it scared the hell out of our government because it was definitely an assault on the fiat currency system that these governments have depended on for hundreds of years. Um, and it's, it was big news this decade. And, I, and I, it's been a little quiet in the last couple of years after the hype cycle, because the hype cycle kind of ended like last year. Um, but I still follow it and, I, and the underlying technologies around it and its ability to truly create uh, a peer-to-peer cashless society where trust isn't necessarily ensured by a central authority but by the algorithm itself by the math itself i still think it will be the future and it will make a reappearance in the next decade particularly i think it's going to make an appearance around this this coming decade when there's another financial crisis which we are long-term overdue for yeah we're due yeah way due all right moving on man number four self-driving tech so yay yeah <laughs> this is probably one of the these are the uh, yeah another one of these things and there's going to be a couple on this list that had a profound effect on society that will have and actually kind of has a profound effect on society um there's lots of self-driving vehicles out there now mainly from tesla um and there's many vehicles that have been sold in the last five years that have certain components of self-driving, like driver assist technologies, like lane assist technologies. Um, this has driven advances in LIDAR um, and, and other types of sensory data, as well as the fact that this is basically another result of the advances in deep artificial neural networks and the implementation of machine learning algorithms. As more compute is being pushed closer to the edge, um, Self-driving cars are going to be a thing. Um, I suspect in the next decade, uh, I, uh, I'll predict 30 to 40% of the cars on the road are going to have at least level three to four self-driving tech. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, and, and we're seeing already um, decisions made by governments to prepare for this. So in, here in California, at least, um, you know, the, the little bump dots on the road that they put on lane markers on the freeway. Yeah, so they, yeah, yeah, over, yeah most can places I find out west don't do that a lot. So Back we're in the letting south, those, yeah, we're, we're letting those kind of, um, we're getting rid of them by attrition. I, number one, they, they don't last as long as they were ever guaranteed to. They were guaranteed to last something like 10 years. They only last for like a year and then they got to replace them. So number one, eliminate this huge cost of maintenance. And the reason why we're doing it is because they screw with the self-driving car's radar and they make it more difficult to determine whether you're deviating from the lane or not. So, you know, the the state, the Department of Transportation is saying, or not Department of Transportation, I guess it is. 
I don't know what it's called, but they've made the decision. We're going to start getting rid of these because it's going to make the roads safer because we have these self-driving cars come on. So we're seeing some practical um, government decisions. I mean, I hate to, you know, give them a, 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 a pat on the back, but they made a good decision by letting these things go. <clears throat> right. Yeah. You're actually seeing it at the federal level too. the NTSB, um, you, you know, kind of putting out reports, kind of making rules and regulatory recommendations. Um, they've been involved in a lot of these kind of uh, incidents. We've had, a, we've had some incidents in a decade where self-driving cars have, have caused fatalities. Um, generally speaking, um, almost all of those cases are because of human error. Um, but Correct. It, 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 is, it is good to see a, the state or the federal government in, as a whole looking at this and not trying to curb stomp it too much and understand that it is inevitable that we will start using these technologies. I and hope they realize also that it is inevitable that people will still die on the roads. You know, we, we, we try to sterilize everything to the point where we say, okay, well, if, if we save one life, well, you know, and then is it really worth it? No, it's not worth it to, to stifle an entire technology just because one person in a million dies on the road. You know what I'm right, saying? Because they want this, they want this five, nine safety, like 99.99999% safety, you can't, but you, you can't, can't do that there because here's the deal. <laughs> All it has to be is better than me and you on the road. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right. And, that and we have itself, to accept that. Yes, and we have to accept that. And that in and of itself will save hundreds of thousands of lives a year globally. Agreed. And I think if I had this kind of, I tweeted this and I think I submitted this to the overall MLGA group. If we would have, there's three technologies or three things that we, if we would have enabled at the beginning of this decade would have saved millions of lives. One of them, of course, was, you know, full embrace of self-driving technology. Two, vaping. Three, the basically the decriminalization of cannabis as a whole and its use for their is in basically encouraging its use therapeutic use right that would have saved millions yeah. of lives in the last decade play hands down. sure you can't you can't convince me otherwise and i'm glad that the that the government is a little more open to the fact of that on the subject of of removing these things from the road because the uh the radar of the self-driving cars um have difficulty kind of discerning them. There's a, there's a good fight that's going to happen in the next decade of whether or not LIDAR by itself, LIDAR plus computer vision by itself or computer vision by itself, or will be the viable alternatives for steering these self-driving cars. I tend to think that LIDAR plus computer vision is superior because I think from a dimensionality standpoint, it gives you more points to make decisions. And um, you just need the processing power on the actual car platform to make the decisions. Right. It, 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 do, it does make it more complicated. But. Yeah. And then visual, which is the Tesla approach, even though Tesla does have some radars on board. Um, yeah. But yeah. So that's that'll be that'll be key if whether or not like I, I think the government will inevitably mandate both. In some form. Um, I'm sure they will. I'm um, sure they will. I mean, they, they, because, they're, they're you know, always. Because, they, because they always do, even though like maybe Elon Musk and at Tesla is right. Maybe all you you don't need as 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 much lidar as you think you do, 
Maybe you just need good cameras. I'm, 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 I'm suspect of that, but yeah, maybe, you know, but I think that maybe let the market decide, not just mandate both. Cause then basically when you mandate both, you've definitely driven up the cost of the car. Of course. Of Which course. Inevitably what government does every year when it, what government does every year to the cost of cars. Is that mandate? Well, we've something seen new? this. I mean, I mean, ten, what is it? 10 years ago? No. Um, maybe it was five years. I, I can't remember when Nissan came out with their uh, active steering so essentially it's a steer by wire system, which of course it, it the way it works makes, is it disconnects. Nervous. Yeah, it is well, no, it makes the people steer, nervous. The steering wheel is not connected to the steering column a, or a physical steering column. Right. Right. It's yeah. well, so the, the way it works is, you know, your steering shaft is disconnected from the whole system. There is no connection physically to the system. However, because of the federal requirements, there must be a mechanism to reconnect it in case something goes haywire with the whole system, right? I don't know. I kind of waver back and forth on some of that stuff. But, Me too. You know, you, yeah, can you have, if they were to allow pure steer-by-wire, Tesla would have done that five years ago easily. Um, but they don't. And, you know, we're, we're ending up with these more complicated, more expensive systems. Yeah. But on the other side, <clears throat> does that make things more safe? Because in the event the system does go bad, a sensor stops transmitting its data to the central computer. Now what? You know, yeah. does your car just suddenly drive off the freeway? I don't know. Well, if I mean, if the if the tragedy with the 737 Max is any indication, then the, mm. the car drive it. Yeah, the car may drive itself off a cliff or as in the instance of the. 737 Max, if I'm not mistaken, because there were only one set of sensors and they hadn't enabled another set of sensors, the the, the plane fought itself. You know, right. Fought the pilots and just plunged into the ground. Um, well, that was that from what I from what I understand on that one. I mean, not to get too far off topic here, but that wasn't that because the redundant system was like an upgrade. That correct. They were the, the, the secondary sensors weren't enabled, i.e., by because it was an upgrade. Correct. And, and and the cheaper airlines opted not to Particularly, purchase the yes. upgrade. Yeah, I mean, it's a, what, it's a Kenya. It was a Kenyan airliner. So, yes, they, of course they're going to opt for, the, for that, right? Right, right. Um, you know, but that was it. I mean, the, going forward, I want my damn self-driving car by the end of the decade because I want to be able to get completely hammered and just pass out in the back seat and have my car take me home. Yeah, and by the way, you know, these news reports you see of people taking pictures of people sleeping on the freeway, I'd rather have that happen than for someone to get behind the wheel, fall asleep, and kill my family. Correct. So. All the time. Number five on the list here, CRISPR-Cas9. So on a previous episode, I think we had talked about uh, CRISPR-Cas9 and some advances that be made in it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is... the. The reason this isn't number one is because it's not my area of expertise, but this will have a profound impact on healthcare going forward and in synthetic biology as a whole um, by basically using this CRISPR-Cas9 system to create cell factories that make all kinds of um, drugs. I mean, they already use a lot of these processes and a lot of cell bio uh, um, um, synthetic biology 
to create cell factories, to create insulin, to create, you know, I mean, the, the most basic process that me and uh, cell factory process that me and Gary are familiar with is yeast um, in, the, in, in the manufacture of our, our, our great beverages, uh, beer. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, but the, imagine being able to then have a cell, have a yeast cell produce, you know, a cancer drug. Or, you know, to reprogram someone's, uh, you know, microbiome in their gut, gut, gut biome, um, or create antibiotics, or to create uh, vaccines, um, you know, that are, you know, that don't have all the impurities that make anti-vaxxers nervous. So, yes, this, in sheer, in sheer impact, CRISPR-Cas9 is going to make... Unfortunately, me and Gary live a lot longer than we probably want to. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, right? And I mean, just think of the think, think of the think of the all the all the uh, studies we've had. Now that we have more data, now that we've had more people out there doing meta analysis and stuff like that, think of just how much aware we are of our health. Right, what we eat, how we exercise, all the uh, metabolic pathways in the body that create. Um, all these conditions, all these chronic conditions. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, that's going back up to number one. I mean, that's a lot of machine learning AI just digging through data and running simulations and trying to truly figure out what would be the best way to re-engineer the cell to make us live longer. Um, you know, I think the things we've learned in the last 10 years about intermittent fasting a ketogenic diet, a Mediterranean diet, um, the advances in food sciences for vegan, you know, so that vegan diets, a vegan diet doesn't even suck anymore, right? Um, this, Casper 9 is one of, is, I, I call it the pinnacle, but all the nutritional sciences, the biological sciences that are going to be driven by all these technologies that we're discussing, I think, yeah, I think the one that's going to have the most impact immediately is you know casper uh crisper yeah. i'm sorry Kisper, uh, crisper we we don't have casper as a sponsor yet crisper nope. cast night <laughs> i'm just trying to look and see because i'd seen an article about using yeah using crisper uh to help like genetic disorders like sickle cell anemia and stuff and you know all this stuff like that so be on the lookout for that technology in the next decade i mean but it definitely came came on it came into its own uh this decade and i'm pretty sure there's some drugs in the pipeline uh in the fda pipeline that are derived from this technique and so we need to i mean we should be thankful that like this stuff is happening now and and like in the last 10 years like it was not a thing i mean this this is a relatively new phenomenon i mean they'd studied these processes before but like this was this was this was brand new yeah, and, this is going to fundamentally change drug development and and application and testing even. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in silico, in silico as opposed to in vitro, uh, as as some of my medical friends like to say. All right, number mm -hmm. six. So I did a last minute switch here, but basically, the last ten years has definitely been the gig economy, the sharing economy, the we work economy. I like to call it, and. Uh, I guess we can just call that the gig economy as a whole. So again, like number three, harken back to 2010, you had a lot of people out of work. You had a lot of people looking for other, uh, looking for side hustles. And this 
ability to do gig work, right? It isn't just driving for Uber or Lyft or doing DoorDash, but it was like freelance stuff, um, writing. Um, mm-hmm. I think at the beginning of the decade, there were all these uh, blog uh, blog farms out there where you could like write like blog articles and submit them and then like and create junk articles. You remember that day, right? Where you would go, hey, how do I change my dishwasher? And there'd be like, these crappy little sites that have roughly what you need when it came to that. But that, that was human beings in the beginning writing those little crappy little blog posts. And, mm-hmm. and people made money off of that. Um, the, the we, I call it the WeWork economy because like it, it, it's basically remote work taken to its ex- extreme, taken to its logical conclusion. Like I don't need an office. Um, right. I, what I matters is my effort. Yeah. yeah, what matters is my output. What matters is what I contribute. What matters is what I do. Um, you know, coder, coders, it, it's, it's been a thing for coding for almost 20 years. The ability to just kind of farm out work. First, it was in India. Now, a lot of that stuff is coming back on shore. Um, right. You know, the, the advances in um, just-in-time manufacturing, um, you know, this new push toward artisanal brands, um, the ability for, hell, me and Gary to... We could start our own merch site tomorrow, right? Um, and, and a lot of the platforms that allowed this, your Pinterests, your Amazons, your PayPals, your Ebays, your um, Etsys, um, you know, and then, you know, one could have a side hustle of reselling goods on Amazon, uh, doing custom goods in Etsy. Um, hell, I think Facebook has a good marketplace that I, I have friends of mine who, is, who have used it. You can use Venmo, uh, a Venmo or PayPal or Square, and not necessarily have to plug into the very expensive uh, credit card processing network. You could then drive for Uber at night and Uber or Lyft at night, and you could do all kinds of things, all because we came out of a recession where people felt that like, okay, I need, I, I need a job, but I need some side hustle money. And right. the, the platforms that came out of this that allowed this to happen, um, it, it, the gig economy is here to stay to the point you know it's arrived when you have a state making laws that make the gig economy, you know, harder. To yeah, do. yeah. And here in California, you know, that's the big thing that's been in the news the last few weeks is this whole, uh, was it SB? I can't remember which, which bill oh, it was. I've been hearing about it. Oh, I've been hearing about it's, it. It's a killer. <laughs> I mean, you've got... I, I think they've lost sight of where the gig economy came from. You know, I don't think they came from economic uncertainty. (laughs) Right. I don't think they understand that this is, you know, this was a stopgap filler and still is for a lot of people. I know a lot of people who drive for Uber and Lyft who have their regular jobs and they still just want to have that little bit of side money. There are a lot of people who are doing it as their full-time gig. Okay. God bless them. But, you know, the let's not forget the origin story of this thing and really the flexibility that it still gives to people who decide to to do it. So California, yeah, they're trying to kill it. They're trying to say, OK, corporations, again, under the assumption they have unlimited money, unlimited resources, whatever. You're going to now have all of these people as employees and you must provide them with, you know, benefits and blah, 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 blah. It, it's crap. And it's killing not only the economy itself, but it's killing the desire for people to look for alternatives. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's sad. 
because what I think the gig economy and the sharing economy really is a a uh, assault against is regulatory and licensing regimes that actually do mm-hmm. make it very difficult for people to make a living. Yeah. Right. I have this adage that I say all the time when I go in front of any group of people or I'm talking to any layman who is lamenting against Airbnb or, or the gig economy as a whole. I say, hey, man, why are you making it? Why should it be against the law to make a living? Everyone's just trying to hustle. Right. As long, you know, you know, as long as look, we have different views when it comes to, um, you know, the drug war and stuff like that, man. But as long as you're not slanging dope, um, what's really illegal about creating a product that people are willing to pay for? And with the advent of cryptocurrencies, in my opinion, or at the very least P2P economy, why should the government be get in the middle of that transaction? It's a voluntary exchange. I exchange my labor, and for that, and, and of course, my the use of my car, in the case of Uber, in an exchange for that, like I get a cut of the proceeds, and I make a little side money. I'm not being exploited right. any more than me, I'm being exploited working for a nuclear weapons laboratory, working, you know, 60 hours a week. I'm paid for that, right? It's your choice. It's your and choice. It's You're choice. not trapped into it. You know, this isn't human trafficking. This isn't, this is a voluntary arrangement. Right. And, so, and if you don't like it, you don't do it, you know, yeah. and that's how the free market works. Right. It's funny. And, it's, a mar- it's, it's, it's the beauty of the free market. Like this, this, this arose because, because of financial hardship and someone got out there and hustled and like, you know what, what if I did this? What if I did that? And the truth be told, the gig economy also definitely exposes the fact that like the way we work and communicate and commute is wildly inefficient. Um, yes. And and I and and same thing with cloud computing, man. Like the only thing we're doing really with cloud computing is maybe we're offshoring like our f- carbon footprint to someone else. But the simple matter is like I don't need a bunch of compute sitting around. I right. just need what I need. And the gig economy is nothing more than like cloud computing, but for like people, right? It's just like right. we we like I'm gonna throw and crowdsource as many people at this problem, right? Because crowdsourcing used to be a good thing. Right. Someone just took mm-hmm. crowdsourcing and just took it to its logical conclusion and monetized it. And yeah, we have we have been better for it. I mean, Uber, Lyft and, and you know, the companies that vanquished along the way this decade have probably done more to curb DUIs and accidents than anything else. Add that with self-driving tech. Add that with vaping. Add that with like you know, the recreational and or medical use of cannabis and other things like that. And you get rid of the opioid crisis. You stop this, you stop this, you stop the, uh, the emphysema outbreaks that happen because one consumes, you know, tobacco products. You do all these things and you make life better. And like I, I, and it, and it, it really does infuriate me that not only are like the people who were kind of wrote, wrote, wrote these laws thinking that, like you said, the corporations inherently evil, so they have unlimited resources, so they should do the right thing. And it's just like these are all these technologies, particularly the gig economy stuff, is just a a result of the government's grip on like all these things. The WeWork thing yeah. worked because it's just like why hire hiring people? You've made hiring people very very expensive, right? Because you because you demand that they are offered these things. And that, right. and like, 
AI and machine learning, and there's a, another technology that's a, it's an offshoot of this, but it's basically nothing more than machine learning, robotic auto, uh, process automation. The companies of the future are going to not have a lot of employees because having employees from a regulatory standpoint mandates that you spend exorbitant amounts of money to use that talent. So you're right. going to need to hire less talent. And so you're making it worse. You're making the gig economy almost inevitable when you do that type of stuff. I just hope that the gig economy, the, what we've seen in the past 10 years, has opened people's eyes to the opportunities and opened people's eyes to the realization that, okay, maybe government regulation on hiring and working and all this isn't such a good thing. And it's not really doing us very good. I mean, at any level, really, even the individual level or the aggregate level, hopefully it's becoming, you know, we talk again, a lot about culture and, uh, you know, value shifts and things like that on this program. But, um, honestly, I hope there has been a value shift in it and that the majority of people see it and go, whoa, you know, this is, we don't need to regulate this. We can let this just be. And, you know, and hopefully California other, hasn't yeah. nipped well, that in the bud. Yeah, man. Such a wonderful place. But, man, such a, such a dumpster fire sometimes when it comes to their legislative agenda. It's so uh, it's, sad. It's gross. Um, and I hope the other cultural shift that you see is the fact that, like, you, you don't need a nine to five where you get in your car and commute all the way into a central city or a suburb. You go to go into an office, you sit behind a desk and you work. That maybe there's more to life. Maybe you should do something on the side. Maybe you should start your own thing, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a job is just a means to an end. And maybe it's not just the job and or career is not an end of it. it ends on end of itself, in and of itself. And right. I, I, I hope, it, I think it is. It, 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 I can definitely say the one thing about the quote unquote snowflake generation is they're a lot more entrepreneurial, I would, I would imagine, than most generations. Um, and I think, you know, we discussed WeWork and what they were trying to do. Um, they m probably failed at it miserably, but I liked what they were trying to do. Um, I think it, 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 it uh, fit right into the sharing gig economy. And this kind of um, division of labor that was going to happen in the future where, like, yeah, I don't necessarily have to be in this city to be hired by this company. Who knows? But Well, and, and, and the way that, you know, traffic and stuff goes these days, it, it's almost impossible. I, where I live versus where the city is, I couldn't do it. Yeah. There's no way. It would yeah. sacrifice way too much for my family. Yeah, yeah, I'm already wasting an, almost an hour round trip a day. So, um, and, yeah. and I'm in a relatively mid sized city. All right, number mm -hmm. seven, ladies and gentlemen, is the ubiquitous communications made possible by broadband, 4G, and soon to be 5G. Um, the thing that we ignore the most about all these enabling technologies, what has enabled really the gig economy, the we work economy, the sharing economy, has been the ubiquity of broadband, both uh, land landline-based and cellular and or wireless-based, and mm -hmm. increasingly so going forward. Net neutrality, oh my God, it saved us. No, it didn't. <laughs> um, 
it's funny because like this this argument about net neutrality started really at the beginning of the decade and the Obama, the Obama administration and their FCC chairman thought that it would be necessary to then commoditize, not necessarily even commoditize like broadband, but like basically make it sort of like a utility. And while from a standpoint, yes, it is sort of a utility, the fact of the matter is it became a utility while not being regulated as a utility. So maybe it should not be made from a regulatory standpoint a utility. So the good thing about the Trump administration, FCC, and uh, Ajit Pai, who is probably one of the second greatest like FCC chairmen of all time, um, is the fact that he has a very light touch approach. And what we have gotten in the last two to three years is not only ubiquity in broadband access, increase in speeds, uh, ubiquity in 4, 4G, and even fast 4G, but we're getting very fast deployments of 5G. And that has happened without a explicit law in the books of net neutrality. Amazing how that happens, huh? Isn't it amazing how that happens? I mean, it's not, it's almost like we preach, what we preach on this show of uh, as limited a government as necessary, it's hmm. been as, as, as limited a regulatory burden as necessary, actually gives you the desired results that you were looking for. And that is closing the digital divide. Nothing has closed the digital divide more than not only the ubiquity of landline broadband, but leaving the dreaded cellular phone companies to consolidate and charge whatever they needed to to um to amortize the cost of building out 4G now you can get 4G pretty much everywhere yep. and the poor in the inner city the poor on the indian reservation the rural america rural america has about as much 4G coverage as probably the country of nigeria and and that has been made possible by letting the dreaded cell phone companies, I was I was complaining at the beginning of the decade, the cell phone companies were raping people, man. <laughs> the, mm -hmm. We can't deny this. <laughs> they were killing us with these caps. Of course they were. They were. Yeah, they were killing us with like, particularly Verizon. Like at the beginning of the decade, I was I became a Verizon subscriber, and for the, the for the next seven years, I proceeded to have them financially rape me every month. But I had a pretty reliable network um i can never yeah. really complain about the coverage that verizon gave me then i got decided to get cheap and went t-mobile and in the beginning t-mobile was terrible the beginning of the decade t-mobile was awful awful now i can't complain when i lost my when i lost my internet at my house last year for about uh, a day we relied mainly on the 4g towers near us um on t-mobile's network and they sufficed i mean it just it, it it it's it baffles me that there are actually still people talking about like instituting net neutrality rules when the yeah. proof is what we have <laughs> yeah we we've already I, I yeah i just dismiss those people i mean i i if they can't see what a mistake that would be they have no business telling me what we should be regulating or not Let's put this in perspective for the audience. At the beginning of the decade, were the beginnings 
of the LTE deployments, the 4G LTE deployments, where you were lucky if if you if you got 20, if you got if you were right at the tower, 20 megs down. We're at the end of the decade, and I can be in my car driving to El Paso, downloading at about 90 miles an hour, because you know it's wide open desert out here, and be downloading from a 4G tower. 20 megabit, 20 to 50 megabits per second mm-hmm. over the air. We have gone Incredible. from get downloading, we download a T1 over the air at speed on airplanes. Exactly. You almost lost me at T1, but yeah, on an airplane. Yes. <laughs> you could, I mean, you can get it. I mean, yeah, like at the beginning of the decade, like I had 25 megabits from, I think it was Comcast. And that was the, that was the bee's knees. At the end of the decade, I have a gigabit fiber symmetrical run into my house from a smaller provider. Tell me there have not been, it, tell me the ubiquity of communication has not, made possible by broadband, has not been the most profound thing. It's why we have cloud computing. It's why we have streaming services. It's why we can, you know, we can send our machine learning workloads up to the cloud. It's, it's why we can trade cryptocurrencies and why blockchains work. I mean, it's, the under, everything, everything that we're going to discuss, even on this list, is a direct result of the fact that we have more ubiquitous broadband than we had 10 years ago. Yep. It, it simply is. Um, you know, so next time you're in your Southwest flight heading to Austin, South by Southwest and, you know, you know, um, on typing on your Apple, you know, um, iMac or whatever the hell you happen to have to go to some sort of anti corporate corporate like, like protest. Understand that that's that's all made possible by the fact that the government let corporations, dirty, evil corporations do what they need, do best. And that's make money and create products that people need. So shut your so shut your face. All right. Exactly. Number eight, Internet of Things and mobile in general. To dovetail off of our last one, yeah, like I'm, you know, on a laptop that's and we're doing this podcast and it's mobile. Like I don't I don't have a wire connected. Um, mm-hmm. Gary does, but I don't. Um, uh, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm old school. Yeah. On. <laughs> um, it's funny, right? And, and it's funny, like I, I can, I walk around with my iPad, my phone around my house and, or out and, out and about, out in public, uh, the ability to my, um, you know, there's Chromecasts around, um, people have ring doorbells, all that's connected, all that's made possible by ubiquity of, of broadband connections, all the internet mm-hmm. of things that we will see in the future. Oh, crap. Are you okay? I had a, I had a I had a minor glitch. Stand by. Okay. So anyway, so all the things. <laughs> I mean, all the things that we we've we've been discussing going forward and stuff like that, like the Internet of Things and mobile. Um, that's made possible. Yep. The gig economy. Um, the ability for me to open my phone, open my Uber app, and look and, and either summon a ride or to go pick someone or grab a fare and go pick somebody up. That is all made possible because it, it's because of the mobile internet. Um, and all the Internet of Things that are going to be coming online for crops, for um, for uh, industrial use, particularly for um, factory automation, 
Um, I know where I work, we have a lot of little internet devices and little sensors around that allow us to know the state of our machine and our facility. All that's made possible because of mobile and the ubiquity of a mobile internet broadband. You know, I mean, all that, all, all the things we're going to discuss for the rest of this list are a direct result of ubiquity of broadband and mobile is just the big thing. And in the next decade, the internet of things are going to be crazy. Um, because you're installing a, you know, a surveillance system in your house, camera surveillance system in your right. house. That's an internet of yep. things. Even if it's a small little, it's going to be an intranet for you. But Correct. Yeah, no, that's 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 all made possible. The 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 fact the fact that I have the ability. I mean, you ten years ago you would never see this in a residence unless it's a multi million dollar home with a professional security system and an engineer who's designed and installed this. I'm just some schmuck who happened to be in the right place to pick up some of this equipment and I can put it together myself. Yeah. You know, it, it's really, really. And honestly, I'm looking at this thing going, well, crud, if I can do this, why can't I do this for my neighbor or, you know, someone else and maybe do, you know, back to the side hustle stuff. Right. Why not? That's all I know they, how yeah. to get the equipment. I know how to hook it up. It's not hard. Which yes. is another piece that's, you know, the that they've done a really good job with over the past 10 years is making things very intuitive and making things really understand how to talk to each other. Right. My yeah. mom can get on her iPhone and do stuff back in the day. She couldn't even launch her computer without having to call me, you know? Yeah, this is. Yeah, this is true. And like I like all these Internet of things that are going to be coming online, all this data, all this the the ability to like buy you can buy like these little wi-fi dongles that you can plug into the you know plug into the wall and then you can plug something into it and you can address it using assistant or a google home or 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 what's uh, uh amazon system um i think apple has something and you can literally just tell your let's say your google assistant or google home like hey cut on this light in this room and yep. it will then cut on, it will then enable that plug that you plugged into the wall that's connected via Wi-Fi and cut on a light or do something. And my like, brother doesn't, my brother doesn't even have a light switch in his house anymore. Everything is hardwired through IOT devices and it's all controlled remote. Yeah. No, I mean, and that, go, and that going forward is going to increase and the beautiful thing is it used to be you had to build that into your home. Now, man, it exists like from your thermostat. Nest thermostats were the beginning of really getting into the home and doing these amazing and miraculous things that we would only dream of in like sci-fi. Um, doors that open themselves, like surveillance systems, like thermostats that are smart and learning and tune, mm -hmm. that are in tune to that, that even are plugged into the grid and can and can make you more energy efficient, more. Well, not only that, but also make everything more useful for people with disabilities, you know? Absolutely. I've, you know, you've got, you tie your Nest uh, Protect system into your Hue lighting system. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the ability for your smoke detector to start flashing all your lights red in your house if a smoke is detected. So yeah. for a deaf person who can't hear the smoke detector, the, yeah. the alert, this is a fantastic thing. 
yeah so like this this is yeah this has gone from something that was kind of like ah oh, that's kind of cool you see a concept at ces 2010 2011 about the smart home it's it's it, it's the pieces are there it's done you can make your homes if you have a you know if you have a you know a couple hundred dollars you can you can really smarten up your home for lack of a better term so absolutely so all right moving on then kind of dovetail off that like number nine is the mobile assistants siri echo google a lot of people talk it's funny like people thought that this always was kind of stupid and stuff like that but i i i don't talk to my google assistant nearly as much but the ability to just kind of just ask your echo or ask your google um assistant like random questions or siri even though siri can sometimes be sometimes worthless the ability to mm-hmm. ask Siri or Echo or, or the Google Assistant to do something, in particular, if you have a smart home and a lot of IoT devices, um, these mobile assistants on phones for dictation, um, these mobile assistants, I would even add in Google Maps. Google Maps in the last decade has become, if you don't, I don't ask for directions anymore. I just ask for addresses. Um, yeah. You know, only in in parts of the world where it is not properly mapped. I mean, let's just just kind of not to go too far off of far, man, but look how how we've mapped the world in the last 10 years and how we will continue to map the world. And then from all these self-driving cars, all these self-driving cars, the only reason why we're able to even have some of this technology is because we've mapped the hell out of the world Mm -hmm. and out of our neighborhoods. And we continue to map as we we deploy more of these self-driving like cars. And like Google Maps alone is just a search appliance for me. And um, the ability to then ask Google all these things and or ask the Echo things like, what's the weather going to be in El Paso? You know, what's the commute time look like to El Paso? Or ask Siri or, 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 or use Uber, really, as basically your personal driver assistant, right? Except you're just summoning a vehicle. All this is made possible by mobile, and these mobile assistants are just going to get better and better with the ML and AI that's being deployed on the edge. When, when I say the edge, yeah. basically on your phone, um, I right. yeah, uh, I use Google services so many so so often, um, and particularly if you're in the Mac ecosystem, then they have tons of great tools, and they're getting smarter, and they're going to become your assistant. Because they know your patterns, they know your emails, they know who you text, they know who you whatever. Now, this is creepy, and there's some privacy yep. implications that will frighten people, but look at what you get for it. You know, famous yeah. last words well, like for you a and I, in like 2010, you and I, I guess, but yeah, yeah, you know. Well, we've talked about that in the past. I mean, at some point, you have to realize your information is worth something, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to pay in your information to get information. That's right, what we get, do. Yeah. Um, so, but those, yeah, yeah. Mobile assistants are. I don't. I don't think. I mean, my, I, when I saw my mother-in-law dictating text messages, um, into her phone, you know, it's a couple years ago, I'm just like, this is completely mainstream. This is mm-hmm. this is just a part of the way things are. My wife does it all the time. She'll ask Google or Siri a question and gets an answer, and it, it's just there. And um, even to the point, I mean, like Amazon, you know, I'm surprised that Amazon Prime doesn't have some sort of built in assistant. I know they did some things in the past where like if you you can order, you can ask Echo to order you something from from Amazon. And as long as it's connected to your Amazon Prime account, 
then you know it it, it just shows up i mean that's just yeah. that's just crazy right that's I don't, something i don't yeah well and you hear the stories of people who've accidentally ordered stuff yeah yeah too. i think i think i think they've done <laughs> in a the good early job days. Of, in the beginning i was kind of worried about that which is why i cut off my echo but in the last year or so i've you know bought me a google home i use it mainly as a bluetooth yeah. speaker but those things are just super convenient and like the ability to plug it in and turn on lights and stuff like that man i mean all right i'm sold we've yeah we've set up several in our house we've got a home and a few minis and then of course we've got the chromecast and now i have a housewide entertainment system i can tell it to play music on the home group and it will play the same music throughout so if i'm having a gathering i can have you know ambient sound throughout without going to the expense of buying like a sonos system or something like that really made it handy yeah i'm thinking about putting a couple more of those minis around the house so i can like listen to my podcasts as i walk around yeah and stuff because maybe you know i don't i don't maybe i don't feel like my wireless headphones anymore or my bluetooth headphones on anymore or maybe they're dead mm-hmm. right and just just moving that stuff around. I mean, when I was at my brother in house, my brother in law's house last night looking at football. I mean, he has YouTube TV and a Chromecast, and he basically just says he uses his, uh, you know, the the YouTube TV app to just cast it to whatever TV you know he wants to. It's like, hey, cast it to yeah. the upstairs TV, cast it to the. And I'm just like, you know, the these this is kind of the, this is kind of Internet of Things, mobile and assistant together because it's all become one, right? These are assistants yeah. to us. These are little automatons that just go out and do our bidding. It could be one mm-hmm. task, like just play music. It used to be when I was a, if I wanted to change channels, um, you know, I would just, you know, or when I was a kid and I had to change the channel, um, I got beat on the head. Hey, you change the channel. <laughs> you were <laughs> right? the remote control. <laughs> right? So now, now you actually have remote control. Now you have these assistants doing all kinds of things like, you know, um, Amazon Prime, like, hey, man, you, you know, you need to order, you know, your, your, your mushroom coffees. And it's like, oh, crap, you're right. I need to put that on order. You can schedule that stuff. Mobile banking, mobile everything. You can, you know, it's, I, I think we, we've, we've, we've kind of now taken it for granted because it's all very convenient. But mm-hmm. that hap- that's only been the last 10 years that's become very ubiquitous to us. Right. And number now, 10. Have you just, oh, well, b- before, I was just going to ask a real quick side question. Has your Google answered you to OK Boomer yet? No. Should it? <laughs> Mine does. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Minute, Every once minute. in a while, one of my kids will say OK Boomer, and then Google will pop up and say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you said. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one area where a, uh, the machine learning kind of falls down is like natural language processing. I've been really reading up on a lot of papers and stuff. Apparently, that's a really hard problem. Um, but, uh, yeah, that'd be cool to just say, okay, boomer. And then all of a sudden like, Oh, what, what, what did you say? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. <Hilarious. laughs> all right. And, uh, rounding out the top 10 here, just to kind of close it out here is just streaming services in general. Spotify is a recent phenomena. They were streaming music services before, but they were, you know, typically shut down. This Spotify opened the floodgates to now you have Apple music. Now you have Google Music and streaming services as a whole from like, uh, I use obviously Netflix, YouTube, um, you know, Facebook gets into the streaming media business. 
uh, Apple finally stepped into the game. Disney has streaming services. There's all these streaming services that have basically balkanized the cable bundle. <laughs> and it's funny, mm -hmm. it's probably slowly bringing us back to the cable bundle, right? Because I look at the services I pay for now, I'm spending about, granted, it's still half of what I would pay for a cable package. But it's still like, wait a minute, I've just assembled a cable package between Hulu you, you and have Amazon. But, you, but you've been able to do it to your taste. You're not forced into... No, this is true. You know, these 37 channels that you'll never watch. Correct. You know, this is stuff that you... And plus it's all on demand as well, so... Yeah, which is... It's hard, right? When I go back to, like, the normal world, that is, I go visit relatives and stuff, um, the ability just to kind of throw something on TV and just watch it, mm -hmm. kind of miss that. That kind of very linear... Just stream of think of the, the stream of content, and, and there's yeah. there's services out there like Pluto TV does this. Um, um, faith, you can you can kind of mimic this on Facebook. Um, YouTube does this a lot when it plays the next video. Um, but no, just just you know, throw on a, a marathon of Law and Order <laughs> and just sit there and watch right. it for six hours because there's nothing else to do. Um, right. There, there, there's something to be missed by that. And I think that those services do exist. It's just, you know, you just have to kind of find them or someone has to build them. But look, huh? I mean, you got to think of it, man, like all the streaming services, man, they're winning awards for original programming. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. you got to remember, man, House of Cards was like, you know, like, and all these shows that kind of began a decade were kind of a big gamble for these services. And now they're iconic. And, yeah. um, yeah, I love streaming services. I love being able to stream music while driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour in the middle of nowhere. And it still work. Um, yeah. And this is, just, this is just going to continue. And now that we're going to start in the next decade, we're going to have so many satellites in orbit. I mean, to think that we will not have full coverage in the continental U.S. to have streaming services and stuff. Like people complain like they can't stream Netflix at HD on their phone as they're kind of sitting on a bus or something like that. And they're just like, dude, like, do you, do, do, you're do you sitting on a bus, bus dude. streaming <laughs> music, streaming this. And it's funny, the ability to not own music, right? This is kind of going back to that sharing economy, the ability to, the, to not, not really own the music, right? I haven't bought a CD in like two, two years. Oh, CDs it, are dead. Yeah, CDs they're are dead. dead. Yeah. That's another thing that died this decade. CDs. And physical uh -huh. media as a whole, right? I don't, I don't really see the streaming services. Like I, I stream in 4K now. And because I have the bandwidth to do so, I have the display to display it. And I have the set-top box to process it. Looks amazing. I actually sit on the couch on Sunday mornings usually. And I just throw on like a 4K stream of like this guy flying a drone around some lakes in like Switzerland. With, <laughs> and I just read. It's so you basically has, have the, the Costco demo reel. Yes, this, yes, that's what I have. <laughs> Those are awesome. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> because great. then you look up occasionally and you're like, huh, I should go there. We need to go there. <laughs> like I look at the wife like, we should go. Because you, know you, you know what actually kicked that off, right? If, do, you, do you have an Apple TV? No. Okay. So on Apple TV, they have these live screensavers. And they'll uh -huh. just bring up these random places like Dubai or San Francisco or like Greenland or um, like China or like the 
Glacier Google, National well, Park. The 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 uh, the Google Chromecast does that as well. Live or just still? Oh, not oh, not live. It's just yeah, wait. yeah. Um, and and it's funny. Hey, like, Google's I talking love to watching me. those. Like I'll sit there and watch. Like the there's a one satellite view that actually starts from the Bay Area, and it's just mm-hmm. a satellite view going down the coast. I'm even you know flying over your house down to like the what? Yucatan. Yeah, it's and basically it's like a satellite view of be... Southern California and, and me being. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And you can see, and, you, and I, can, I can point out the cities. Like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that, that, that's, um, that's Silicon Valley. Oh, okay, okay, that's Monterey. Okay, we're getting, okay, we're getting close to like Lompoc and stuff like that. And so that's, that's Santa Barbara. Okay, that's Los Angeles. Okay, that's, okay, that's San Diego. I'd say, okay, that's, mm-hmm. that's Tijuana. And you can see as, as this, because as this, it's a satellite photo. And I, I, they probably did it from the ISS. And, like, it's just a live video flying over. They do the same thing over, over Asia. Like, you can tell, like, oh, yeah, that's Tokyo. Um, you can look, oh, that's a Korean peninsula because that's Seoul and that's North, that's Pyongyang because it's the only light in this dark area. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's all dark, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and it's, and, you know, Taiwan is just lit up. It's, the whole island is lit up. Japan, the whole island's lit up. And it's just this right. ISS, photo, uh, ISS video. And... I love just like turning on those 4K streams and just doing that. Um, uh-huh. And that's streaming, man. That's all streaming services that have come. The ability to send compressed 4K and have it look good and have very little artifacts. Um, streaming services have come a long way. There was We were never going to be able to stream 4K. We were never going to be able to stream Blu-ray. It's just too much data. Anyone can stream 10, 10K, uh, what's it, uh, 1080p. HD, mm-hmm. as long as you have at least, I think it was, is it 10? Is it eight to 10 megabits per second? Anyone can I think stream 10. HD. Yeah, yeah. Anyone, can, anyone can, even over the phone, even if you use your phone as a hotspot. And yeah. um, that's just the beauty of it. And yeah, streaming services are here to stay, man. And yeah, they'll become, they become more balkanized. We'll probably have to buy more. But I love it, man. You're right. I get to tailor it to our, my needs, what I want to watch, when I want to watch it. Yep. And uh, that was the dream, wasn't it, <laughs> of, of cable? Absolutely. Uh, when we moved to fiber optic internet and uh, for the backbone and cable TV as a whole, um, mm-hmm. that's become the streaming wars. And it's funny because these guys have become a lot of the infrastructure providers and uh, have become are wanting to get into the streaming game to be more value add. Because I know Xfinity has all kinds of additional services. I was in El Paso. You know, Spectrum, uh, Spectrum is um, old uh, Time Warner cable. Do you know that there are original series on Spectrum's cable network? What? Yeah. They, re- they, they actually relaunched Mad About You. Like, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an original series on Spectrum streaming. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so didn't know they, they all want to be in this game because they all want to be value add now instead of just being dumb pipes. So anyway, um, but that's our list. Um, we, you know, this is just us old guys who've, you know, spent the last decade watching this stuff and uh, deploying this stuff and experiencing this stuff and understanding this stuff. These are, the, these are just the things that kind of me and Gary came up with, man, that have changed the last 10 years. And if you, can, if you can imagine the things that have happened in the last 10, I mean, can you imagine the next 10? I, I know I, I cannot imagine. Me what either. is going to come and, mm-hmm. and it's so exciting yeah just to think that you know and you know p- poverty has 
been greatly decreased in the last 10 years. Um, I was looking at a CNBC kind of little mini documentary about like India's economy and why it's slowing down. And the fact that like at the beginning of the decade, like 52% of the population lived in the poverty line now lived in poverty, right? What is considered globally as poverty today, there's only 25%. Um, so I, I just, I, I, I just can't imagine the next 10 years and like the, the things we discussed in yeah. this list are going to have just profound impacts, man. You, you just wait, guys. You just wait. Anyway, is there any other closing thoughts before we close this out? Nah, I think we did a pretty decent recap. I think we did, too. And uh, with that said, ladies and gents, this has been Thaddeus Preston and Gary Guthrie with Thank You for Your Servers. Happy New Year, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Later. Bye, everybody. 